Hey there, undercover artists. Welcome to Bubbling Up, an adult conversation on the wide world of comics. I'm your frustrated comic creator on the convention circuit, Joe Sori, along with my one-named, all-knowing CIA handler, Steve. There you are. Kind of like Pele, kind of like Madonna. You the know, share of it, comics podcast. It, Agent 355 from our last episode. So it's, right. we have a lot of secret underground, not sure where they're from, agency rockers in our apps lately. So on today's show, as I hinted, we will be discussing the limited series from writer Brian Michael Bendis and on artist David Mack cover. Quick reminder, blah, blah, blah. You can email us, bubblinguppod at gmail.com, Instagram. If you do like and enjoy, share it with someone. Let them know if they're actually going to enjoy this or review it somewhere, share it on somewhere. I don't even care about social media, Reddit, wherever you like to post things. You know, we're all on our private conversations, a good recommendations to someone directly. Those are the best things to me. I, I don't take yeah. them off of, you know, spam zones either way. So I don't need to spam anybody. No one wants any spamming, but we, we want to let people know what's going on. So this is, uh, like I said, Image Comic, Brian Michael Bendis, illustrator is David Mack, and it's volume one. It's the only volume. I think it's five or six issues and it's one trade. And Steve is going to give us a little uh, official synopsis rundown. Absolutely. Uh, based on a true story, the intelligence community figures out that the traveling band of social misfits who make comic books are an exact match to the profiles of candidates recruited for intelligent and counterintelligence gathering. A well known comics creator is recruited by the agency to live a double life as a spy, and convention season is upon us. Cover is the blockbuster new epic. Well, I don't know about new anymore. And it's blockbuster. I don't know what blockbuster is anymore. (laughs) Especially (laughs) for a six-issue comic book. From the acclaimed team, Brian Michael Bendis and David Mack. As they reunite for the first time since their renowned run on Daredevil. And this is uh, issues one through six. So, All right. So, Steve-O, this is your choice. What attracted you or what did you like about this before I, I give my feedback? What was your reason for recommendation? So I've always been a big Bendis fan. I really started reading comic books again and got into Ultimate Spider-Man when he had his run on there with Mark Bagley. I really loved Powers when that was coming out. It's right behind you on our screen. You can't yeah. see it anyone else, but it is in his, <laughs> in his pile. It's my backdrop. It's part of my backdrop to these Zoom calls. And um, he's done a bunch of other really good stuff. So uh, it was fairly recently that I finally recognized what an amazing artist David Mack is. And this book had kind of escaped my notice earlier earlier on when I was you know reading more comics and stuff. So when yeah. I saw it pop up, I really wanted to check it out. So that was that was it. I, I kind of read this about a month ago, and I had 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 it in mind to do an episode on since then at some point. Yeah, I mean, that's that makes a bunch of sense. And we have not covered him before. We've discussed him in, in the background to do like Powers and something else. He has got kind of a major run. I wrote down here, he's got the Marvel car wash. I mean, he did Guardian, Spider-Man, X-Men, including House of M, Secret War, Secret Invasion, which are potentially the next big Marvel film series cycles I've been hearing and I don't even know what they are. I've tried to read some of them, but they're a little bit beyond me. I actually didn't even know. I just read a Bendis. I read the Avengers Disassembled. I can't say I loved it. Again, I also wasn't much of a fan of Siege, which I know was another series that people liked that he did. So mm-hmm. Powers was one of the early things I remember picking up and really responding to, kind of getting me back. I was like, oh, Image is still around. Like, I guess I, I just didn't know anything. So I knew they were around, but this was definitely kind of had the noir style. It had the flashy style. I remember reading it right after I read, I think it was Chew. It had that detective style, but it was also a different thing. And that type of story is 
kind of not become commonplace, but it's also kind of like the boys where it's uh, powers is a detective team that investigates superhero crimes. Basically that sounded probably cool back then. And now it feels like every story is uh, somewhere leads there. So he's, you know, ahead of the curve when it comes to that, my initial impressions We're going to stick to the story here first, because like you were talking about and trying to get into with David Mack, I have a lot of thoughts on that. And the art here, I think, is is the winner. The story, I think, unfolds pretty well. It has a a short burn and it has kind of this fleeting, almost like out of sight, the movie. Like it has this ephemeral feel. And I think that is also reflected in the art. But the way the story is told, it's kind of non-temporal. It doesn't do like before, after and later but it's kind of apparent what is before, after, and later. So I never know sometimes who to give credit when it comes to how that is displayed, if it's purely in the writing or if that goes to the artist. But initially, I would say I thought it was pretty slow to begin, really revved up in that last two to three issues and really paid off in my estimation. I think the story, the ideas, the multiple, the comic creators... It's like an inside baseball thing. It's almost like these things are written for other comic creators. Like, look what I could do. I could write about us and write about conventions and write about how we experience those. Isn't that kind of funny, cool, goofy, but also like how maybe he legitimately feels. So Mm -hmm. that was my kind of feedback from, you know, right away when I read cover. Yeah, I I think that that it does have this like kind of ephemeral feel to the story where it's like the moments in between these very intense times in the main character's life are just like wispy almost. And then like you have these moments where he like gets his ass kicked by a counter agent or whatever, or like this shadowy government figure comes out of nowhere to like basically, you know, bring him into strange government conspiracy. So apparently this is like partially based on a true thing that has happened from time to time where like, because comic creators go to these, conventions all over the world and nobody really pays much attention to them like they do quote-unquote real celebrities they can kind of just like slip in and out of meetings and and these things that they kind of get invited to but nobody really pays attention to them at which i thought was kind of interesting and i know bendis has a knack for writing like it's great dialogue and these really interesting storylines but i know that uh, mac also had input on this because i believe he's been like some sort of government agent like not you know, an undercover CIA agent or anything like that, but he's done work for governments, like reaching out, uh, some sort of diplomatic stuff, I believe. Ambassadorship, something like like you're like an ambassador or like, you know, crossover cultural ambassador or something like that. Yeah. So he's seen some of this stuff or like knows people that have gone through similar things. We discussed Tom Tom King in the past who was a former CIA agent. And so it's not like a hidden one there or a former some kind of inside the government agent that he, he's pulled from. And I mean, half these things are about spies. You wouldn't be surprised that uh, some of it, it's like, oh, you guys know a lot about us without even knowing about us. You know, yeah, so yeah. Might as well come on work for us. Let's talk about one or two other things before we switch over, the, you know, take a break and switch over the art. So any of these characters, any of them stick out for you? I know this is always to me, but to me, sometimes, especially in a series like this, it's either you get connection right away or you kind of lose lose it. And that, to me, like you read that whole story or you read that synopsis, it doesn't even mention 
the name of the main character. It's almost like yeah. it, it kind of doesn't matter. But what, what did you think of the actual characterizations built here versus the world being built here? Well, I think it is a lot of like, oh man, I don't even remember the name of the main character. I don't either. That's why I'm saying I know I think, that there's that, that foreign character. And I remember like it being hard to say, but other than that, I can't off the top of my head name any of the characters. I have the visuals here are sticking out to me, but not their names. That, yeah. I think it's kind of cool that way, actually. Yeah, I think that the main character is supposed to be like kind of a ghost or like, you know, like you're supposed to easily forget the name or forget the face. You know, it's more of like the overall story. And that goes along with the why they would have picked him up to do this kind of work. Again, I'm going to forget all the names of, of all the characters. I should have written these down. But I do like the the main guy and his handler have great I think together. her name is Julia, I want to say. Julia, right. As I feel like always happens with Bendis books, like the dialogue is where it really stands out in terms of the writing side. And in terms of the story, I like a lot of what it does in going into like kind of philosophy, different philosophies and like the painting as a brush as like a sword almost and all that other stuff. Like it goes into a lot of different stuff that you wouldn't expect in like a spy thriller, like more philosophical, like deep dives and things like that, which I really love. And Bendis kind of does a lot in, in his type of stuff. Like he, you'll see a lot of stuff even in Powers or whatever. But yeah, I mean, I enjoyed this story, but the thing that really got me on this is the art for sure, as I think that you'll agree with me. And we'll talk about that in a, in a couple. I was just trying to think of someone it connects to. It, it kind of had the same spy ethereal feel and i think the here it is esad is that the character's name i think that person that the way that was displayed i think was effective and i think them being expressed through the art they actually made as comics so even his best friend i don't remember the best friend's name but i remember the art that they made that they were showing them that looked like a fake matrix that was going to revolutionize the industry or the art that he makes so it triggered for me one of my favorite films, which is also a film about comic creators, American Splendor. Even though it's about humans, it's kind of like if comedians in cars get it talking coffee, if artists at conventions talking comics, it kind of had that connective tissue where they know what it's like. And they, they mention it over and over again and say, what, what is it like? Well, I want to be home. People don't know me. I'm anonymous because I stay home and I want to make my art. And then I come out here and people recognize me only because I'm sitting in front of a sign that says that I'm this artist. Otherwise, you know, this is the only place I'd be recognized, but I also, these are my people and they're the ones that allow me to, to do my magic. I have my, my few sentences and lines that I wrote here. The one that stuck out to me was, does it drive you nuts that no one reads? Like, so even to me, there's a connection of like reading and like understanding of how people work. And there's some other quotes I have here that are more talk about the art rather than anything else. But I do feel like this becomes a comic where there's a bunch of mouthpieces at a dinner table reflecting the arts, artist's inner thoughts. That you don't even know who's talking it. And that's the reason why you're not differentiating the characters. There's at least two major dinner scenes that last multiple pages that are just cloud sentences. You don't even know who's saying what. So that there's like a video call. So to me, that that actually makes this makes it kind of a melded essay that is put into multiple characters' mouths. So they're minimally memorable, but uh, you know they're more memorable for the art that they make. So if that makes sense, I think we've exhausted most of the conversation we wanted to have about the story and concept and the characters. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to deep dive into the art of cover volume one. Thank you. 
All right, we're back and we're going to be talking about the art just so we stick it out. I think it's David Mack is the main artist. I did look and found that Bill Senkikowitz is the Assad Sins art. We have a letterer named Carlos Mangual. And then I have some digital coloring by Zoo or Zoo. So that's a couple of the, the deeper texts because I want to give everyone credit here. I don't know who did all of it. And I don't want to just say it's all David Mack because I think these are very involved, especially as they're doing a lot here. There's a lot of work being done here. There were a bunch of artists that worked on different parts of this book. I think Jim Lee did something. There's a lot of variant covers. So I never know if those are covers only, or if they do actual art here. So we'll put in the show notes, everyone that we get involved yeah. and we're going to attribute here, but we're going to act like it's one asset, but assume it's multiple people. I don't know who's doing everything, but David Mack's going to get the credit because he's the, the main name on the book. So Let's start with the real world style. So what did you think of the the real world style versus then going into the comic styles? I want to do that. And then I want to do the the different comics that are inside of the comic. So what stuck out to you there? Yeah, I mean, they, they, they did a lot with not only the, the art style, but also with the coloring. There's a lot of blue in this. A lot of light blue, a lot of like sky blue, blue and everything. Yeah. Or, yeah. Even when it goes to both. But then you see like, if you know... David Max like style on his just his art that he makes it's there's a lot of that in here but there's also like a lot of interesting like other stuff that looks almost like the interiors for like Hawkeye the first trade of Hawkeye Aja yeah uh, especially like light blue stuff and so it's interesting to see like the changeover and what they're doing with your how they're trying to play with your emotions throughout like changing our styles and stuff like that I know there were a couple. You said Bill Sinkowitz did the uh, the assassin heart scene, basically. Yeah, yeah, those. I don't think. No, I think it's the the art that looks very, very kind of Viking like. Okay. The, you know the black and white heavy drawing, the big portrait drawing. I'm trying to think. It was like the one with a the hammer. They kept showing him with a hammer, so it's his art. So it's a different artist making that comic, and or could be the art that's in the last segment because that's also by Essen the running person, the kind of the one with all the boxes, you know, we can get into that one, but I think that might be it also because in the last issue, there's kind of a running theme of a person running away at the convention. And then like they talked about the big comic that he produced with the money that he he received. But, yeah. Well, then they go into that with the Japanese style, like watercolor. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the stick out. And I think that's David Mack. I'm pretty sure. So I'm going to try to not fully attribute wrong, but that watercolor, I thought that'd be the reason alone to Wheelhouse. I am a sucker. I What is it? Danger Ninja Odyssey or whatever the name of the comic is. But there's this like story of a young boy who's an artist, but also a sword maker. And there's name changes. And and there's this these beautiful kind of connected panels that are separate, but also connected that are like pieces. I'm a sucker for really good watercolor looking stuff. You know, we talked about Dustin Nguyen. That's, you know, his style. But to me, this is more in the vein of Japanese, I don't know, it's not manga at that point, but is of that vein, the Lone Wolf and Cub, but even more detailed, more scroll paintings, not comic art, but storybook art in essence. That's the reflection. And it has these great lines like, first they taught me the way of the sword, then they taught me the way of the brush. And it's a little boy holding the brush and then the sword. And it's so emotional. It's so talking about him interchanging with a young girl and hiding and crests and family and name. And there's this, this one other 
I don't even know how to say it, but basically there's a sh- picture or drawing of the young boy in red with occasionally I caught an arrow to like, I guess in their body and they're not dead, but it's just very, very almost magical, majestic and worth the price of admission for this comic alone. Do you have any other thoughts on, on that? There's a lot of, I'm just like, uh, while you're, while I'm listening to you talk, I'm just like quickly scrolling through it all again and just looking and taking it all in again, because the whole book is absolutely beautiful, but there's a lot of um really cool instead of like a black silhouette, he yep. uses white silhouettes and outrageous like watercolor backgrounds there that really are awesome. <laughs> yeah, those specifically take place in the in a lot of the CIA things or yeah. a lot of the the spy stuff that they're doing. That stuck out to me right right away. Um, the, all those interrogation scene, the meetings that they go back and forth to in the same scene, where it's kind of like flipping the lens in and out. It really is really really well done. And then there's that last one which I was kind of mentioning, which is the it's the Saul Bass title sequences, spinning parallax view, seventies paranoia thriller yeah. being drawn out. I mean, these are like hitting all my hitting all my notes visually. <laughs> I also have to mention for sure that so there's a comic in here, like a comic within the comic called Berlin Squad. Yeah, that's the and one that what the, his friend made, right? That like is 100% Michael Avon Oming drew that. Like, right. so that's his old partner that he worked on Powers with. Like, I just saw it and I was like, oh, yeah, that's Oming for sure. Yeah, he's he's listed also, and I didn't know how to separate it, but yeah, he's really. That's really, really good too. I would read all of these internal comics. You know, it's kind of like the the uh, Lemire. Uh, the Black Hammer series where like you have a different artist for the whole world. I would read all these world comics. That's yeah. for me is, is the big winner. Um, Rads did one of the covers too. Yeah. And that's that blue, like spy cover. That's freaking awesome. Like I said, from the beginning, this is definitely the art that you saw about the silhouettes. You talked about the muted blues that Saul Bass intro. It all feels real, but also ethereal. It still feels imagined in essence. It doesn't feel like it's over the top realistic. It has a pure style of its own. It has all the noir. And, you know, if just judging by how many, this is the comic that I think I've had the most photos of in our series. And I figured out how to put them in my notes so I can (laughs) review them while we're sitting here. It's so annoying. You can't screenshot on half these apps. So then you're like, how do I get it? And then you get a bookmark it. So I think you will, baby. Yeah. Well, I read it on my tablet and Uh, on there you can't snip it. So then I take my phone out and I take a picture (laughs) of the tablet. Like I'm in Evernote. I feel like I'm an old man, like some dumb guy. I don't know. I don't know how to do it, but (laughs) there's no other way. And it's got to me. So to me, this is, if I ever read this again or revisit it, it will be just to look at, look at that art. And I think a lot of people, um, there's a lot of comics that we read through and blow through for the ideals. We've landed back and forth on some of the art, but this really just um, has so many different varieties in a, a six-issue series that it's it's, it's quite impressive. Mm-hmm. And then when those art picks up, because that those stories of the comics kind of pick up by the second half, I think that also allows the real, when it goes back to the real life or there's a real connected tissue or they explain, I like your old stuff because it kind of disappears where there's the one segment where he's doing his dream project is this person in space. And I'm like, you mean descender or something? (laughs) Or like, I thought there's a lot of poking at some kind of other, some other 
maker that makes something that they don't like. I don't know what, it, you know, I don't know who it was supposed to be picking at, but it was, it was pretty funny where it's like, I got to make my man alone in space book. So might even uh, be making fun of himself, you know, <laughs> he could be. And I think everyone kind of has that moment where they have that moment, moment alone uh, in space. That's, you know, most of my thoughts. There isn't, you know, usually I'd ask you here how high would be reading more of this on the pile. There isn't any more. So Brian Michael Bendis has said, that now that Jinx World's over at Dark Horse, he may do a volume two of cover with David Mack if they can get together on it. So nice. Possible. My note here is if you're looking for something moody, interesting, meld of noir, spy, samurai, and mystery, along with a little comic creator inside baseball, this is perfect for you. It's a decent script, great art, weak characters, but a finite ending. Make this a mid-level recommendation overall, but a high level on the art. And the last thing I will call out is the last panel I have here is from that scene of the art that I really liked with the kind of the boxes, the spinning man vertigo kind of looking cover. And there's two of them discussing it. And they're talking about how these, they're these huge oversized comics. And the note was that one of the guys, he paid for it, but with his spy money, he paid for this. How do you think I could get this really nice paper and these big things? And they're holding these like tomes, basically. (laughs) It has this really cool cover that only I think is in the last where it says cover like C-O-V and then E-R is like merged together and there's a a silhouette of a body. Mm. And the line says, not everything has to be a movie. Yeah, the world totally agrees with you on that and always has. So like not everything has to be a movie. And this could be a movie, that's fine. But I think there's a fun appreciation where it's like, you can ruin it. And we just kind (laughs) of had this discussion with Why the Last Man. We've had this with a lot of other shows this could be interesting on the conceptual level, but if you started doing fake Japanese comics in the middle of it, it wouldn't feel like it does in this realm. So I depends think on how you pull it off. Yeah, kill Bill, <laughs> kill Bill, but kill Bill. He's just they're just stealing from other kung fu stuff that they already <laughs> did, and Lady Snowblood and other stuff. So, and you have to have good fight sequences. I have to say there aren't really any great fight. There's a good beating sequence, but there isn't much of a fight sequence in this. So. That's my my main thought. Any final thoughts you want to show uh say on uncover, Steve? Uh no, I mean it's it's well worth a six issue read. It's uh fantastic, some of the best comic art that you're gonna see in a in a self-contained work. And for me, Bennis is always gonna be a writer that's like even if it's not the thing that you're like super interested in, he's he's always good at making it a enjoyable read and making it something that kind of moves along at pace. You know, it's not, it doesn't get bogged down. It doesn't get too slow ever with his stuff, even though he does tend to write a lot of dialogue, it kind of like clips along usually. So this I think is no exception and you will want to spend some extra time on the pages just to check out the art a little bit more, but worth it. Was this originally a digital? Cause when they were talking about that, I guess was this a, a digital first you think like they would dream for this to be in like a big <laughs> portfolio sized drawing that this comic could be in that size, like full page, full square panels. I don't think so, but I guess it's possible. Well, if someone offered me some of this art for my walls, I wouldn't say no. <laughs> so. Even Mac has a bunch of art that you can go and get. Maybe I'll, uh, I'll look up that. So I forgot what the site is right now, but he's got a bunch of art that you can buy 
online. I might, I might have to start pulling the trigger. I was looking at the Lemire collection because he sent out that coupon from the Substack or whatever. And then like, this stuff's expensive. And I don't know, uh, some of it I would like, but it's like, you want the covers or like some kind of one splash page. Those are the ones are really expensive. Like a yeah. couple of little snippets of people's faces. Eh, yeah, I'm not spending, I'm sorry, Jeff Lemire, I'm not spending $300 on a one comic book page until I get much more rich than I am now. So, well, soon enough, you know, but it has to be the right page. And I, I like Royal City, but I, I don't know. I don't want it that bad. So, all right, let's take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk about what we're going to do next week on Bubbling Up. All right, we're back. And next week, it's Halloween. So we're going to do some kind of spooky, scary, chatty uh, something or other. We've done so many horror books. We didn't want to read another one, honestly. And we did Ice Cream Man like a few weeks ago. We should have probably just done it for Halloween. We even talked about it being like a scary mini series that it should have been. I did read that it actually got optioned for Quibi to do a TV series of ice cream, Man, which made, made perfect sense. I don't know if that ever happened. So I know the library is owned by Roku. So maybe, maybe ice cream man will, will come. Maybe we can try to cast who would play the ice cream man or have some fun chat. So we'll have a little Joe centric, make it up as we go along. Scary, creepy Halloween comics meets the real world meets horror discussion. How's that sound, Steve? Sounds great. I'm into it. All right. So he's into it. So for me, the hungry Joe and for Steve, Mr. Undercover himself, we bid you adieu. Thanks for coming to Bubbling Up this week. Yeah, it's the same music as at the beginning. Our buddy Chris Morgan did it. The intro so nice, we used it twice. What? You want show credits over here? All right. I was your production manager, Steve Ramosi. Still am, I guess. And the other guy was the brains of the whole operation, Joe Soria. We want to thank you for tuning in, and we hope we see you on the next episode. Uh, goodbye! Great timing. <laughs>